As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our first Champions League review of the season. Yes, Bayern conceded three, but that point is moot because if you want to score against Anana, all you have to do is shoot. PSG are threatening to be a proper team, while Newcastle have recommenced their European dream. Man City made the grade curve a little steeper. Lazio were helped out by their heroic keeper. Arsenal were entertaining Champions League clubs now, and Barcelona turned it on thanks to a boy named Jao. Real Sociedad were remarkably shrewd, while Real Madrid once again owe it all to a boy named Jude. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, your friend of mine. He's got a lovely smile on his face right now. I wish you could see it, listener. Taylor Rockwell, hello. Hello. I'm smiling as much as Jacob Murphy was smiling during the Champions League anthem. I loved that clip. That was great. (laughs) Uh, I am happy to be talking Champions League with you three fine fellows. It's been a while since all four of us were together, I believe. Been a while. And yes, Taylor, I'm very glad that this this is my first podcast back in North Carolina. I'm sitting in a closet on some stacked cardboard boxes (laughs) talking to you three. It's a pleasure. pleasure. It is a rule that at least one of us has to be recording in a closet and one of us has to be recording from under blankets at all times. That is the rule. Uh, Speaking of that rule, we go now to our Rome satellite office to speak to Mr. Joe Lowry. Uh, Is that is that my old studio you're in, Joe? Watch out for the mold in the corners there. I I specifically (laughs) tried to book your house uh, because of all the wonderful things that you said about it. Never anything bad. So I, I don't know if I actually ended up in it, but I got close enough that I think the same kind of Roman moldy aura has infiltrated my recording studio. (laughs) That stuff gets around. That's all I've got to say on that one, Joe. (laughs) Joining us to complete the set, it's Popeye's enthusiast, Graham Ruffin. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I know you've had a a busy few days uh, buying all the essentials you need when you move to America. One, Bald Eagle. Two, Harley Davidson. Three, Giant Barrel of Ranch. Have, Have you managed to find all those things? Did you get them all in Target or do you have to shop around a little bit? Brought them with me. Already had them. No, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> Those are things you, had, you took to Italy. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. They were inside the Mustang, which was in premium economy when I was in coach, as we established uh, earlier in the week, Graham. Uh, excellent stuff. Uh, yes, I'm excited to be back with you guys. Thank you very much. Also excited for a lovely opening uh, night of Champions League action, or two nights of Champions League action. Before we get to those games, though, patreon.com slash Show for all our bonus content, bonus episodes, videos. Mm. Uh, you know, I think Joe said he's going to do some interpretive dance at some point and put it on there. We haven't committed correct. to that. At some That's point. Right. I'm, looking for- I'm looking forward to that. I did yeah. enjoy Ryan's video from uh, Bank of America Stadium from last night. You were at a Charlotte FC game. I liked the bit where you walked past a Starbucks and didn't go in. I mean, did that mm. just happen off camera? You just left that bit out, didn't you? Yeah, ma- the magic of Hollywood there, Graham. I- I'd already been in three sure. times before I actually shot that scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought you were a bit jittery. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes. I-, I shot a video. I went to the Charlotte FC game on, th- on Wednesday evening. It was a lot of fun. Literally... Tens of hundreds of my friends there in that stadium. Uh, it's a big stadium. It holds like there are tens of hundreds of us, Ryan. <laughs> tens there of hundreds of us. <laughs> it was indeed, but it was very good. I, I met a few TSS fans. Uh, I met a nice fella called Frank uh, at the uh, start of the game. I was probably 
a bit short with him and because I was um, excited, but Hello Frank and many others who I spoke to. The first part of that sounded fake. The second part of that sounded real. (laughs) (laughs) I met a guy named Frank who I was a bit short with. Like part of that sounded a little more natural than the other. Frank was a Newcastle fan. I got the deeds, Taylor. He's listening. (laughs) Hello, Frank. And hello, everybody else I met on that evening. Thank you very much for that. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show for our bonus content. Shall we go to Bavaria for our first game? Bayern Munich 4, Manchester Uh, United 3. No, you don't want to go there? Should go somewhere else, Taylor? Oh, yeah. Man United didn't want to go there, clearly. Andre and I probably doesn't want to go back to there. (laughs) It was a goal fest. The weirdest goal fest I think I've ever seen. If you told somebody this finished 4-3... to I'm sure they would think like, oh, what an engaging back and forth game that must have been. And it is such a bizarre four to three because uh, for for a good chunk of time there, I think the Man United subreddit was imploding and exploding at the same time, which is not really that uncommon for, for that subreddit. But the feeling was very negative. I think the feeling remains negative, but is now also confused on top because of those two late goals from Casemiro, who was otherwise pretty terrible in this yeah. game. Mm. Yeah, and that sums up the whole game. Casemiro, really, really bad, scored yeah. twice away to Bayern Munich. It's yeah. just, it was a, it was a really, I agree, Taylor. It was a really bizarre match that didn't really follow any flow, and and goals were scored against the run of play. Highly entertaining, but I don't think we learned anything new about these two teams. I think these two teams are, are flawed right now, but Bayern Munich just have fewer flaws than Manchester United, and that was reflected in the the final scoreline. There, there's a there's a strong I don't know how else to explain it. It's like there's a strong like scammer energy to Manchester United, where like they always give you just enough to think maybe next week they're going to turn it around. Maybe next week is when they put it together. And Casemiro is the prime example of that because I felt like once again we saw his defensive deficiencies uh, very slow to track back although that was kind of par for the course for this team but especially uh, on the second goal I believe for Bayern he just gets turned so easily by Musiala and then is, is sort of slowly jogging back not really tracking doesn't really do that much defensively but then scores those two goals so multiple friends I have, who are, or multiple Manchester United friends that I have, Showing have off. said, like, this is uh, whatever tens of thousands of friends or tens of hundreds of friends. Uh, multiple friends that I have who are Manchester United supporters say, like, but maybe this is it. Maybe this is the motivation you needed. Maybe this is where it kicks on. Maybe this is where they find some form. This could happen. This could happen. And they always leave you with just enough to feel like, but maybe they are going to turn it around. Uh, and maybe they will. But I, I think that they were... Some very big red flags in this game. And a few for Bayern Munich as well. Bayern Munich were not flawless in this one. I think some of the concerns that Graham and I talked about in the weekend review were on display here. Uh, So overall, a very confusing seven-goal game. Yeah, Manchester United scammer energy is just that their kits are so good and their team is just so mediocre for who they are. Good to have you back, Uh, 50% of the podcast believes that. I thought you were saying scanner energy because they look like barcodes. Uh, uh, that as well. Uh, I, I, I was hate very that confused that was when good. I, I hate that, I, that was yeah, good. That was good, right? I, I, I turned on the TV Wednesday night and I was like, wait, Newcastle played last night. Very, very confusing. Hey, they're better than Newcastle's kids. So I'm not much better than Newcastle's kids. Setting yeah. that aside, because we yeah. will never agree on this topic and that's just going to be how it is. Casemiro did not have a very good game outside of his two goals, which again is a weird sentence to say for what was truly, we've all said it now, a very weird game. At the same time, I don't really think he was set up to thrive in this game. And there's a couple of different ways that you can go with this to to sort of set the tactical groundwork here. Manchester United defending through midfield man-to-man for large stretches of this game. So it was Bruno and Christian Eriksen as the two more advanced midfielders for Eric Ten Hag. And they were dealing with Goretzka and Kimmich for much of this match, which then leaves Musiala as Bayern Munich's number 10 in what was a pretty cut-and-dry 4-2-3-1 for them up against Casemiro as Manchester United's deepest line midfielder. And you saw the difference in quality in the second goal. Taylor, I love that you spotlighted that. It's in my notes as well. Musiala just leaving Casemiro in the dust, splitting him and speeding down really the left half space, getting into the box, eventually find Serge Gnabry for the goal. And it's 2-0 to Bayern Munich. And it felt like to me at that point that the game was going to be over. Now, that didn't really turn out to be the case, but... Like I said earlier, there's a couple different ways you can go in terms of how you want to apportion blame. One is on Casemiro for kind of blowing his assignment and not being fully in in that moment. Another way is you can go towards Eric Ten Hag and say, well, you're 31-year-old defensive midfielder up against maybe the most energetic high-flying team on the continent is not a great matchup to leave him isolated 1v1. That's one side. The other side is you can look at Manchester United's front office and say, well, if you're looking for a defensive anchor when you buy him is almost, well, certainly past his prime, but is almost on the wrong side of 30 and now is on the wrong side of 30, 
Like that's probably not the most stable long-term idea. And that's something that we talked about. Casemiro has so much quality, but also is getting old and is not the same athlete he used to be. Just another example or, or the latest yeah. version of the same example that we've been talking about for Manchester United and some of their construction issues and some of their performance issues. And when we're talking about those performance issues and the same structural issues, the thing that I was struck by, and I think, Graham, you tweeted about this too, I have it in my notes, is that this felt so similar to the Brighton game that we talked yep. about from the weekend, that Manchester United, I felt like, started in pretty strong fashion, uh, winning 50-50s, challenging for everything, winning the ball back high up, uh, moving it quickly, finding good passes. And the weird moment was uh, Regulon charging through the middle with the ball at his feet and then playing a smart pass. And I remember the Brighton game thinking like, wow, that's a really smart signing. I, I did not have much faith that that was going to work out well. And yet here he is looking incredibly good. So in this game, when that moment happens again, I thought like, oh, that's exciting. Oh, no. Oh, no. And then sure enough, the the same thing sort of happens. In this case, it is Onana spilling what should have been a save. Uh, so a bit more of a howler than there was in the Brighton game. But a thing that stood out to me, Joe, you talked about the man marking and some of the way Manchester United chose to defend. Also pretty clear to me that Lissandra Martinez was meant to just track Harry Kane, at least in the first half, meant to sit on him, meant to limit any involvement he had. And to me, it's another example of an opposition manager sort of using Manchester United's tactics against them uh, because for that second goal, uh, Harry Kane drops very deep when Bayern win the ball back uh, pretty quickly. And this might also happen again for the uh, for the counterattack that leads to the corner, that leads to the penalty, that leads to the third goal. Um, it gets a little confusing there. Uh, but both times, Martinez tracks Harry Kane a little bit late and then over-pursues him, but the ball doesn't go to Kane, or if it does, he lays it off quickly and now is played in behind to Gnabry and Sané, who then moved centrally, and uh, routinely it was it was Lindelof and Dalo who were the two deepest defenders for Manchester United, obviously shifting over onto the right side, who then have to come across and try to to help provide cover. And it felt like Manchester United, in their defensive approach, were set up to try to nullify what Bayern wanted to do, which is play through Harry Kane. But to some extent, it felt like Bayern just used that to their advantage and found a way to bypass that, and then uh, capitalize on Manchester United players being out of position. And it was something that wasn't really rectified for a large chunk of that first half. I think it gets fixed a little bit at halftime. They're, they're a little more secure, though they still concede some goals in that second half. So it was another example to me of Manchester United having a strong start, but then not having the ability to sort of evolve or adapt from that position. Mm. Are Manchester United aware that you can score a goal and then you don't immediately have to give that goal back to the opposition? Is no. that is, is, is that something that they know? Because it didn't seem like it in this game. Thanks, yeah. Graham. <laughs> no, <laughs> You're I welcome, mean, Taylor. It, it is, it is, I think everything that we're talking about is again when I go back to like, maybe not scammer energy, but just confusing energy from this team. The Casemiro sort of jog back. It reminds me of like, the first or second, like maybe the third game of MLS when like, okay, like the new season started, playoffs are a long way away, we're going to figure some things out. Eh, if we concede, we concede. Like the way Casemiro is sort of casual jogging back, the way twice Christian Eriksen loses possession when he does not need to. And that, that the goal that comes from the penalty is Eriksen on the ball and just delaying and delaying and delaying, could have moved it quickly, could have moved it simply, and doesn't, and that's after Manchester United have scored. It felt like there was an opportunity there. He coughs the ball up, they go the other way, and then he concedes the penalty. I believe he also uh, coughs the ball up for the second goal. So j just a lot of needless mistakes, a lot of casual mistakes from Manchester United. And then if you're going to be casual and getting back and transitioning to defend, there's going to be problems. And I think we saw that uh, four different times last night. I, Taylor, you might want to cover your ears for this because my, my sort of thoughts on Manchester United, it's less confusing energy and more just that this team isn't very good. Like you look at the names in the squad that are out on the field against Bayern Munich. Rasmus Hoyland is still very much an unknown quantity as a number nine. And I don't think we have gotten a full idea of how he's going to fit into this team in a really maximized way. And then some, running through some of the rest of the names, Facundo Palistri, 21-year-old Uruguayan, still really unproven at this level. You look at the midfield, especially the, the deeper line players, Eriksen, 31, Casemiro, 31. You look at the back line, Diego Dallo is a good but not great fullback. You look at the other side, Sergio Regulon is, is not someone who's ever really done it for a club of Manchester United size. Victor Lindelof, 29, a little bit past his prime at this point. And then Andre Onana, who does a lot of good things but also is not a complete goalkeeper and does seem to give up some of these howler kinds of moments like we saw from him in this game. Like, I don't know. I guess for me, it feels almost more cut and dry than anything else. This Manchester United team has talent, but they're far, 
far away think, right now from being a team that's going to go toe-to-toe with yeah. Bayern Munich consistently. Yeah, I agree, Joe. If you look at the personnel, Bayern Munich are clearly just a, a, a better team. They have their issues as well. But And Taylor can jump in here because I don't want to speak f- for Taylor. But I think Taylor's maybe looking at some of the signs in this game and then looking at how Manchester United have played in past games as well, where they maybe have had a talent advantage over teams and seeing those, sa- those same confusing signs in their performance, the way that they start this game, the way that they seem to be ex- ex- extremely fragile when something wrong goes against them, the way that the the midfield... I mean, for me, the midfield is the issue right now. You can kind of make arguments for other areas of the team. Obviously, the defence looks vulnerable, but they are so easy to bypass in midfield. So yes, Lissandra Martinez has had a pretty bad start to the season, but I, I wonder if that's down to what is in front of him in that Manchester United team at the moment. And it's it reminds me of Liverpool last season where Liverpool looked very defensively vulnerable, but it had its root in, roots in what was happening in midfield. So, yes, I agree, but I can also see Taylor's point of view that there are confusing signs when you when you broaden the picture and look at more than just the one game. Yeah, it's definitely been interesting how Andre Nana seems to have taken the martyr position and sort of taken the blame for this defeat. Whereas, as you say, Graham, He's got like wet tissue paper in front of him and a, and a midfield that doesn't really understand the value in tracking back or, you know, trying to stop players in front of them. I know. I know we've got a break before too long. I g- agreed on the soft tissue paper. Can can Graham or Taylor, because I still haven't listened to Weekend Review, and I, I do think Hurtful. Bayern Munich deserve a little bit Hurtful. of shine. I know. Sorry. Sorry. I got to be a team player. It's <laughs> coming. The download's coming. In, in, in foreign don't, countries or something? Don't you worry. Um, like, what, what do you all perceive as Bayern Munich's issues? Because I look at this team and what Harry Kane has brought he has brought another dimension to the attack. But I look at even, you can just look at the score and you look at some of the chances, if you want to go one layer deeper, that Manchester United did have in this game in the attack. And it, it still sort of feels like Upamecano is is good for a howler of his own defensively, or maybe that's a little bit of a, a vulnerability when he's isolated 1v1. What do you all perceive, Graham, maybe if you want to go first, as the weaknesses for this Bayern team? Because they are undeniably strong on paper. Yeah, so one thing that, that Taylor and I identified in Weekend Review earlier this week was the number six position. Thomas Tuchel has been pretty open about wanting a player Holding in that six, role. right? That's what he called it. Yes, exactly. Um, they wanted, uh, so I've been saying this name incorrectly according to the Discord. It's I believe you pronounce it J-Wow is how you say uh, Joao, is that, <laughs> yeah. is that correct? J-Wow yeah. J- yeah. from the Jersey Shore. That's the Jersey Shore, going yeah. For it. yeah. Yeah, J-Wow Polina, I think they were... <laughs> They wow. were going for, um, yeah, Joao. Um, they were very close to getting that transfer done. Obviously, <laughs> fell apart at, at the last moment. Well, and I think the, the 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 relationship. Manuel Manuel Vaith wrote about this. I noticed last night as well. The relationship between the defensive back four and the midfield. It feels like there's a disconnect. Disconnect. There is space for opposition players to get in there. The two teams that they have played in the Bundesliga, who are very heavy heavy transitional teams are RB Leipzig and Bayer Leverkusen and Leipzig tore them apart in the Super Cup and Bayer Leverkusen gave gave them lots of problems in those areas as well so it's it's maybe a first world problem where Bayern Munich are complaining about their midfield and their midfield has Joshua Kimmich, Conrad Leimer, Leon Goretzka I'm sure there's a couple others that I'm forgetting about but it feels like they are missing a profile of that player and equally that then has a knock-on effect to the right fullback position where Tuchel is putting Conrad Leimer there to try and push him into central midfield or Joshua Kimmich out there to push him into central midfield and that then is leaving the defensive line a little bit unbalanced as well. As I understand it, I agree with everything Graham said, just to add to it a little bit. Like you call those first world problems. I would call them basically Super League problems that I think Thomas Stuckel has identified that against stronger opposition who can punish you uh, on the break. They don't have the defensive personnel that he wants, especially through the middle. Joshua Kimmich, I think, maybe took issue with that, saying, like, I, I, I am that holding six. I can be that defensive presence. But I think how much he wants to be involved in the attack is what Tuchel is pointing at. And I think the same thing goes for Goretzka. And this game is kind of a prime example of this. How how much it felt to me, maybe like the 60th minute or so, that like, okay, this is over. There's no chance Manchester United is going to do anything, and yet they score two more goals. And I think that speaks to the kind of concern Tuchel has about how we don't really shut up shop, we don't have the defensive presence or solidity to see games out and to see out 1-0 wins, and I think wanted the personnel that would allow him to do so would allow him to effectively play more defensively if the situation required. Uh, the commentators in the CBS broadcast talked about in the, that in the beginning that he's had to have Tuchel has had meetings with the Byron board about like, could you be a little bit less negative and a little bit less critical of our acquisitions and that it hasn't been love at first sight, I think was was one of the, the sourced quotes about the, the situation. So it feels like 
Tuchel would like this team to be able to be more practical than I think they've been since maybe Pep Guardiola, where it felt more... We're just going to possess them to death. We don't need a ton of defenders if we can attack score goals and then keep possession. And I think Tuchel wants them to have that defensive practicality for bigger opponents and doesn't feel like they have it yet. All right. So Bayern top group A after the first match day. United at bottom, of course. Elsewhere in that group, we have Galatasaray and Copenhagen drawing 2-2. They take out the middle spots in this group. When hey, we return... Indeed. When we return after this uh, break, we will go to the group of death, PSG. We'll talk about Milan, Newcastle and much, much, much more coming very shortly. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Champions League review. We go now to Group F. PSG 2, Borussia Dortmund 0, Kylian Mbappe with a penalty, and Mr. Hakimi with the goals in this one. First win for Lucho in the Champions League for Paris Saint-Germain. Um, they're at home, Graham, in black and orange kits. Uh, how do we feel about that? Good? You feel good? Uh, I mean, MLS has softened my tolerance on this. I've watched like <laughs> two Pacific Northwest derbies this season. Get where on, Graham. Seattle and Portland have not been wearing Seattle and Portland colours. Yeah, so I, I, I'm getting worn down. I feel like this is modern, the way of modern soccer. But um, a much-needed win for PSG. They lost at the weekend, of course, at home to, to Nice. You can see what Taylor and I... Um, did we speak about this in the weekend review? I can't really remember. Maybe it was someone else I spoke to uh, about this. Who but else anyway. are you talking to about soccer? <laughs> are you Where reviewing you the weekend elsewhere, Graham? Yeah, Tell yeah, us. I, I, I talked to myself. Where else have you house. been reviewing, uh, Graham? <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, much needed win for PSG. They're, they have Their form hasn't been particularly good, but you can see signs of what Lucha wants from this team. This was a lot better. This is what the best that we have seen from them this season. I think it must be said that this Dortmund team didn't really offer a great deal. They look very limited this season, which is a concern. But nonetheless, this was encouraging from PSG. Um, as I say, lost at home to Nice a few days ago. Um, they controlled this game from start to finish, cre- created lots of opportunities as well. I thought the PSG midfield in particular looked like a functional unit, which we haven't said about a PSG midfield for a while. Um, and there's a good balance between the players in there, which for this game were Virginia, um, Ugarte and Zaire Emery. For this game, Virginia in particular was very impressive. He was at the centre of, of a lot that PSG did well. He helped keep the tempo high, carried the ball well, and was very heavily involved for an excellent second goal, which uh, Akaf Hakimi finished off, maybe the best passing goal of, of, of match day one. I think Ugarte is becoming an important player for, for, for this PSG team. He's added a bit of steel. He was in there to stop Dortmund having any joy on, on the break, and he did a, a good job of breaking things up when he needed to. I, I, I remember writing about Manuel Ugarte when he was at uh, Sporting Lisbon when it seemed like Chelsea were, were going to sign him. I know it seems like they're going to sign every player in the world, but it seems they, they were pretty close to getting him. And there were at least two quotes from former managers who both said how much he loves tackling, and that does come across in how he plays. And, and he's a, the sort of player that PSG have been lacking, a cohesion player in the middle of the pitch. So I, I, I liked what I saw from them here. Uh, I liked th- this game as well from a PSG perspective, certainly less so a Dortmund perspective. Uh, and so I mean what I'm about to say with a compliment. Uh, there's the line in, in the wire uh, from Prop Joe. He says, do you want to know what kills more police than bullets and liquor? Boredom. They just can't handle that. You keep it boring, String. You keep it dead boring. And that is PSG to me in this game. They were kind of boring, but I think about PSG historically... They're rarely boring. There's always a sideshow. There's always a talking point. There's always chaos. And to watch this game, they just seem like a competent Champions League team who had good players in the right positions. I think Kylian Mbappe looks comfortable, at least in the Champions League, maybe less so in league on this season. But I feel like they've made smart signings. The team looks pretty balanced. And so this was a balanced performance from them. 
very much less so Dortmund. And I, and I do have some concerns about Dortmund for, for this season. They just look not quite at their peak, certainly, but they don't seem as like energetic and lively as we tend to see them, I feel like, to start the season. Maybe I'm I'm misremembering, and maybe a lot of that has to do with the way they finished under Edin Terzic, but it just felt to me like this could be a season where they could build on their consistency and some of the stability, and it just doesn't feel like that's the way it's going to go. I don't know if that means we're, we're due for a refresh or due for some transfers or whatever it may be. Maybe I'm just being too harsh to start, but this felt like a game that could have been in past seasons, like a 1-0 away win for Dortmund where we all get really excited about them and pile on the criticism for PSG and instead this one just sort of went fairly descript for me. Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to be negative Nancy on the show so far today, but I think the reality for Dortmund is they're just not really as good this season as they've been in seasons past. The biggest thing is we'll talk about the Jude Bellingham effect for Real Madrid later today. Yeah. I think we're seeing mm-hmm. firsthand in the That's Bundesliga what I mean, I don't know, between the Bundesliga and this Champions League game we're seeing how much they miss Jude Bellingham. You know, they're in seventh place so far in the Bundesliga standings, and they struggle in this game. They were miles away from PSG in this match. They were the second best team, to be clear, from start to finish. You lose Jude Bellingham, and I, I think you lose a lot. You lose Gio Reyna, who's another extremely talented young player, now on the bench in this game, I believe, getting back into the fold slowly. But this Dortmund team is just not of the same quality as past Dortmund's team, uh, as past Dortmund teams. PSG, for their part, I agree. A little bit boring under under Lucho. I think that's going to kind of be their brand. He's very much still trying to figure out the right combination of players. And I think this one might have been closer. They controlled this game in the way that he wants to, but they also created chances. And the players seem to understand each other a bit better. We've seen a few different number nines. We saw Kolomowani up top in this game with Mbappe on his left and Dembele on the right. We're seeing now them start to develop some cohesion. And Graham, you mentioned Vicinha. And I want to spotlight him just very quickly here as well. He's popping up not just in the left half space as a left-sided midfielder, but all the way on the left wing. Like he drifts all the way wide so Mbappe can come inside. He's doing some of the dirty work, not just defensively, but also off the ball in possession to allow Kylian Mbappe to be where he wants to be. He's the reacting player. And, and the, ch- the challenge for PSG before is all the midfielders in the back line had to react to not one, not two, but three superstars that didn't really want to do the dirty work in Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. Now it is the Mbappe show, and the midfield doesn't have to do quite as much accommodating to make his life easier. They have to do some, and Virginia has to do some, and did it well in this game, but they don't have to do it all the time. That's something to watch for going forward, how this PSG team continues to gel in an era that I thought would ultimately be a bit better for them with a more balanced squad, even though Prior to this game, they'd had the worst start, and I guess still have in Liga, the worst start in the league since 2011, which is when the Qatari takeover, just eight points in Liga through five games. Yeah, that, that start in Ligue 1 has been a little bit confusing, but I have watched a couple of the games and there's been 20 to 30 minute periods where things have looked good for them. So they are, Lucho's style is unlike anything PSG have played since the Qatari takeover. So I'm not surprised that there is this trans- transitional period that's happening, but um, if you look at the t- this team and how they played, even little things like Lucas, uh, Lucas Hernandez coming into that team means that he can move centrally into a three when Hakimi is high on the right side. And that just makes sense. Like, that's maybe not the most eye-catching transfer PSG have made, Hernandez, although I think they, they paid quite a lot of money for him. But th- that just says to me that Lucho has a clearer idea of how he wants this team to play and maybe has the players to pull it off. I, um, I was on Oxford Street in London uh, last week, and there is a Paris Saint-Germain official store right in a central area, like a high-traffic area. Uh, it was completely empty the three times I walked past it. But uh, I wonder <laughs> if the timing of opening that store is interesting with uh, PSG's brand now being boring. We, There's uh, one in Vegas as well. Are they just are they just opening all those stores in your like favorite places in the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they, they might open a little outlet inside Cheesecake Factories going forward. They're just, we'll, just we'll going to open them a, 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 like along your route until you finally go into one. That's what they're <laughs> that's their plan. That's the plan. That's the, the slow creep of uh, sports washing, Graham. It's uh, taking us all. Uh, let's go elsewhere in Group F to Milan nil, Newcastle new, new, Newcastle nil. Excuse me, Newcastle's twenty-year absence from this competition, marked with a goalless draw at the San Siro. Um, what do we make of this one, Graham? Rafael Leal had an interesting game in this yeah. one. Perhaps <laughs> Milan should have been a bit better, but then again, Newcastle with all their finances and, and stature should uh-huh. be also be better, right? 
so first of all, Raphael Leao produced my favourite moment of this this match and maybe of the whole uh, the whole match day, the whole round of fixtures where he essentially beat the entire Newcastle defence and then tackled himself inside yeah. the box, which was I hadn't seen that before. But I guess he can do anything he wants. He's that talented. I, I picked a draw from this match and my tips for this week's uh, Champions League fixtures. So I was uh, pretty pleased about how this one uh, panned out. I thought it was a pretty typical opening match and an evenly matched group where I'm going to qualify this but neither neither team really took a grip of things now I think it's fair to say that Milan tried to impose themselves on the game more than Newcastle they certainly had the better of the opportunities there were 10 to 10 to 15 minute moments or periods where Newcastle were hanging on a, a, a little bit um, but AC Milan had nine shots on, on target to Newcastle's one which came right at the end in stoppage time so that that does tell you how the uh, how the match went but even if even when it moved into the final 15 minutes or so I didn't think Milan did a great job of pressing home the advantage it was that point where Yes, they're they are attacking, but they're kind of going through the motions because they know if Newcastle um, nick a winner on, on on the break, that is really really damaging in that group in, in match day one. So it felt like it had the potential to be an entertaining match, but never really moved beyond that phase. And I wasn't very surprised that it finished goalless. Did indeed, Joe. We got some Judas Muster action in this one. We did, and he was good. I really enjoyed him off the bench in this game. Still trying to find exactly what his role, or or maybe just to grow into a bigger role under Pioli for Milan right now. He comes on, plays as a central midfielder, keeps the tempo moving, looks, he, he just looks so up to this level. Like when you watch Yunus Musa play, when I watched him in this game off the bench, my biggest thought is just that he's going to be doing this for a decade. Like he is absolutely good enough to be a Champions League level central midfielder, the highest level that this sport has to offer for years and years and years to come. Still such a young player right now, growing with Milan, growing as a as a professional. But man, his size, his comfort on the ball, his movement off the ball. Yeah, there are things to work on. We talk about that with Musa all the time. Still not the best distributor, and I think needs to find ways to in, infuse some passing into his game and not just rely on, on those progressive carries all the time. But man, he looked good in this game. I thought in general, Milan were the better team. That's, that's the obvious thing from this match. Newcastle didn't offer a lot. Milan just couldn't quite finish. And I think that's maybe where this team is right now. Not, not in regards to finishing, like putting the ball in the back of the net all the time. We've seen them score goals this year. They're going to score goals as the year goes on. But I think there's still like a shade off of being able to really finish off some of these more difficult matches. We saw them struggle and really, I mean, struggle against Inter, who proved that they're still the best team in Milan over the weekend. It would have been now. I guess time is a weird flat circle for me on this trip, but we saw Milan drop points in that game. We saw them come out and drop points in this game. I still feel like they're a shade or, or two off of the top tier of teams in Italy, really, and the top tier you know, Champions League sure thing kinds of teams, even though I think we all agree they had a really good summer transfer window. It's just not either quite clicked yet or the talent level is maybe just not quite high enough. Yeah, the most entertaining thing about this game actually happened before kickoff. All the videos of the Geordies having a good time yeah. in Milan. I had a good, t- I had, I had fun watching those. There's one where there's like a, a rowing team rowing down this river in Milan, <laughs> yeah. and then this Newcastle fan like jumps in the river to race them. You'll yeah. be surprised at who won that race. It was the people in in the rowing who, who looked <laughs> so unimpressed. Graham, they looked, feel, yeah, they, they could have looked less impressed. I've actually been to that little strip, and there's like a um, a, a steampunk bar I went to on that street which was very un-Italian, but it was wonderful. Well, I am, I'm pretty sure there were a few New- Newcastle fans in that steampunk bar this, this week. Steam they had a good time. Uh, Indeed. Yeah, I feel like we probably have to mention, since we're having this conversation, there was also a Newcastle fan stabbed while in Milan. So, like, th- there is that flip side to the Newcastle presence in Milan. That yeah. like, maybe maybe just worth noting while we're talking about like the joyous time that Newcastle fans had out in the streets of Milan. Indeed, yes, that that is worth uh, noting. Fair point, Taylor. Thankfully, that that fan is uh, is is home now and is uh, doing well. But yes, Correct. well yes. well pointed out. That was a 58 year old man who was travelling with his son. He is, as Graham says, stable now. Um, that incident happening on Monday, but yes, uh, certainly eventful for Newcastle travelling fans uh, back on the road in Europe, shall we say. Uh, Group F uh, is delicately poised with PSG top, Dortmund with no points, Newcastle Milan in those middle spots with a point. Why don't we go to Group H now? Barcelona 5, Royal Antwerp nil. Barcelona been eliminated from the group stage the past two seasons. They are off to a flyer this time. Thanks to JWoww. Getting it done. Getting it done. Yeah. The two J Yeah, indeed. J Felix this time. New lease of life, uh, Graham. Exciting times. 
Yeah, uh, Barcelona won 5-0 on Saturday. They won 4-0 here. They haven't won two games back-to-back by that sort of scoreline since 2017. So that is uh, something. Quite quite a poor standard of opposition here, it must be said, particularly because Sam Vines was, was missing. He's watching this game back at home after not being included on the on the group email from from uh, Royal Antwerp for to the Champions League there, this season. To pause there for a second. Graham, what Graham's saying is, is correct. Like, just to be clear, that's basically what happened to Sam Vines. U.S. men's national team, left back, 24 years old, was just not included by accident in Royal Antwerp squad. Had literally just started the second leg of their qualifier against AEK Athens to get them to this point. Starts, I believe, plays that full game. And then Royal Antwerp just forget to put him on their squad list for the Champions League. He has actually picked up a little bit of a knock, so he wouldn't have played this game regardless. But the Champions League group stage goes on for a long time, till December. It'll go on even longer next year. There's a little plug, plug for the big thing tomorrow. But like he would have played at some point, just not in this game. And Antwerp literally just left him off. Unbelievable. Was this a, yeah. was this a Home Alone situation? Was he home, did he have to set traps for uh, incoming burglaries while he was Seems there? Seems that way. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, no, no, that That is actually what the Royal Antwerp social media team should do to try and smooth out this whole situation. Should do a Home Alone style video with Sam Vines. I would watch that. Yeah, this was a very impressive performance by Barcelona. Very impressive by uh, JY Felix. Two goals and assist for him. He might be onto something here. So as I said, after the Betis win, Early days. There's he's only played like two or three games, but there is no doubt the way this Barca team plays suits him much more than Simeone. Ball. A lot of interesting quotes from him after this game, where it seems like he's forgotten he's on loan from Atletico Madrid, where he's talking about, yeah, Simeone's style just didn't suit me. And uh, has anyone told him that Barcelona might not have the money to permanently <laughs> sign him, and he might actually have to go back to Atletico Madrid? But yes, impressive from from Felix. Signs of a relationship with with Lewandowski, who I think needed someone like Felix to to get in the space around him and play off him and draw defenders because Lewandowski, while he kept the goals ticking over hadn't really been in terrific form in, in, in 2023 and he all of a sudden looks a, a lot better so I, I, I very much enjoyed this performance from Barcelona I think the most eye-catching thing was how quickly they moved the ball around the box it's it's kind of like watching Barcelona again and we haven't said that yeah. maybe since the first half of last season yeah it is and Graham you you already added the caveat but just to do it again the standard of opposition not very high Barcelona with or without either of the the Joao's in this game I couldn't do it guys I couldn't do it I feel like we've done it enough um even without them, they still would have had this game pretty handily, at least the talent advantage. But the thing that that I'm most impressed by, Grim, you called out the relationship between Felix and Lewandowski. That's a great one, and I, I like that, and it is developing quite nicely. The thing that stands out most to me, though, is how much fluidity this Barcelona team has with these two new signings, with Yao Cancelo, Jao Cancelo, sorry, working on it, with Jao Felix. Those two players give them, especially Cancelo, so, give, give Xavi so many options. Cancelo in this game basically plays as a central midfielder for the vast majority of the match with Frankie de Jong either dropping between the two center backs as a, a central center back or higher up the field just being the number six in Barcelona in basically a 2-3-5 shape in possession with uh, Balde high and wide on the left and Rafinha high and wide on the right side. But if Cancelo was not in the team, like he, he wasn't last year, we saw a lot of back three with the right back staying home and, and Jules Kunde playing as a right back and he's just staying at home. And we saw that early on in this season from Barcelona keeping that right-sided fullback home and it was Lamal, you know, breaking out as a, as a legitimate star and a Spanish national team player as the, the width provider on that right side. Things have changed for Barcelona, but Xavi can still go back to these other looks. He just has so much fluidity and so many options, so many strings to pull with this Barcelona team. Even if this game, and probably even the Betis game, isn't the the fullest and most helpful barometer of their ability compared to top European teams at the very least, we're still learning more. And this team, to me, looks like a really, really high quality side. There we go. Pulling strings instead of levers, Joe. That's what we like to see. I did change. I did enjoy seeing that uh, I think Barcelona were fined by the Barcelona City Council for doing construction on the Camp Nou after hours or when they weren't permitted to be working. A 400 euro fine. So we'll see if they have to pull another lever for that one. That was the first thing I thought of. (laughs) was like, does that mean they can't sign Joe Felix now on a permanent because they have to pay that fine? Uh, They're going to have to sell someone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we shall see I think it was only about 40,000 people in the Olympic Stadium if I'm right for this one it's not quite as high a capacity as the mm. Camp Nou is the uh, 
current stadium for Barcelona. Elsewhere in Group H, Shakhtar Donetsk uh, with a 3-1 loss at home. Well, not really at home. This was uh, this was in Germany, was it not, Graham? Yeah, in Hamburg. That's where Shakhtar Donetsk. It's actually a really interesting story. Obviously, not a, not a particularly positive story that Shakhtar Donetsk are having to play their games there but they have essentially been on the road for like two like three years i think at this point they haven't had a home game so um yeah that is an interesting wrinkle about their fixtures it is indeed a, a three one loss to porto who are second in this group behind barcelona uh why don't we go to group g manchester city three red star belgrade one old school european contest red star belgrade that's what we like to see um city went behind in this one even yeah. though they utterly dominated in the first half and then turned on a little bit more graham in the second half Yulia Navarez with a brace and Rodri getting involved yeah the, the fact that City were behind in this game is a complete joke given how dominant they were Osman Bakari scored with Red Star's first shot in a half where City had 22 shots so uh, that tells you something about how the game went obviously City turn it on or not even turn it on just a little bit sharper in the second half with, with some of their their uh, finishing also helped by a goalkeeping blunder a goalkeeper called Glazer the first time a Glazer has done something to benefit a football club from Manchester oi oi do you like that one Ryan Bailey you've just, um, you've it, just taken it right in my notes thank you <laughs> um, there was an interesting change at the end of the first half from City where Bernardo Silva <laughs> yeah I, I knew Taylor would like it Bernardo Silva comes off at the, the end of the first First half. Now, apparently that was somewhat injury related. At the time, it felt like it was purely tactical, but he comes off for Jeremy Doku. Um, and the benefit of that was that Bernardo kept on cutting inside where Red Star had bodies and, and, and Doku get, gave City the ability to go outside and go one on one. And while we didn't really see that from Doku very often... I think him being a winger-winger, as Pep called him recently, allowed City to go vertical through the middle, and that's where they score a couple goals in this game. So Jeremy Doku has had a pretty incredible impact at Manchester City. He's scoring goals, but even when he's not being involved on the ball, he's still having an impact on how Man City are, are playing. I think Pep must be pretty pleased with how he's settling in. Indeed. Elsewhere in Group G, young boys with a 3-1 home defeat at the hands of RB Leipzig. City in Leipzig leading Group G after match day one. Let's take one more quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about goal-scoring keepers. We're going to talk about Celtic having lots of players sent off, Arsenal being terrific, and lots more back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, we go now to Joe's adopted hometown of Rome for Lazio 1, Atletico Madrid 1. Sound that klaxon for the late goalkeeper equaliser. Here we go. Even Provadel <laughs> scoring a 95th minute one as Lazio held Atleti to a draw. Brilliant glancing header it was as well. Joe, um, did you, I, I assume you were there. Were you, were you on the, in, in the Corva celebrating for that one? Yes, I know what the Korova is, definitely. Good. I did see a Lazio jersey yesterday, if that can... That, yeah, definitely. I was there for it. Mm. This, this is a ridiculous moment, so it's only the second time that a goalkeeper has scored a non-penalty goal in the Champions League. The last one, 2009, for Sinan Balat. That was in Standard Liege's game against Azed Alkmaar. Ridiculous. Yeah, I was, I was the, about to say that. Ryan that. was there for that one, yeah. obviously. I was there for the Lazio <laughs> yeah. one. Ryan was there for that one. Yeah. It's an absurd moment, right? Really, really cool to see. It's a, it's a kind of a, a chills moment when you watch this highlight or whatever, however you want to inject this into your veins. The uh, the symmetry around 94 in this game is just excellent, right? So Provado wears number 94. There's 19, uh, 94 minutes and 19 seconds left on the clock when he comes in. Uh, he's 1.94 meters tall, the internet tells me, and he was born in 1994. 
So wow. I don't know. Maybe this one's in the stars, or maybe he should be coming up in the 94th minute in every game, and we would have seen like a dozen more of these by now. Either way, awesome. Lazio gets a point at the death. They yeah, did. this was this was this was. I know I've said this a few times. This was my favourite moment from match day one. Ivan uh, Provedal is now officially ahead of Erling Haaland in the Champions League goal chart right now. <laughs> He'll be taking a screenshot of, of that. Um, but th- th- it wasn't just the fact that it was a goalkeeper who scored a late equaliser in, in this game. We've seen goalkeepers score headers before. It doesn't happen very often. But you'll remember there was the Alison Becker one a few seasons ago for for Liverpool. But usually it's a case of it just being like hit into a crowd of bodies and then it hits the goal goalkeeper's head and, and goes in this one is a legitimately excellent header yeah. he tracks the cross he makes the run like an outfield player the really sort of confusing thing is that box kind of clears out of Lazio players for that run like it would for a striker if that's a striker everyone's going oh that's his run that's the striker's run D- have they seen this sort of thing from a goal from him before does he do this in training where they're, where they're like oh well this is his moment we've seen this before <laughs> It, 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 it was an incredible moment and an excellent header. He, he said he knew that's where like the ball tends to be in that situation. I forget who gets the assist for that one, but he said like that's where he wants to put the ball, so I just tried to get there. But it is a really perfect run and a really good finish. It's not just sort of like heading it as hard as he can. It, it, it's well done. That was a great moment. I, I enjoyed that uh, immensely, including in the uh, the group chat when Graham got very excited for a goalkeeper goal. It was. The <laughs> klaxon was sounded. Um, Joe and his friends in the Cordova welcomed uh, Diego Simeone back to the Olimpico. They had a nice banner behind uh, one of the goals. Roma e la Lazio saranno sempre casa tua, bentornato, giolo nostro campione d'Italia, which Joe, of course, means... Yeah, I was going to ask Hi. if you wanted me to translate or, or yeah. not. Yeah. I- I'm, cutting out. Yeah, I'm cutting out. What? Oh, oh, we've lost Joe. Uh, Roman Lazio will always be your home. Uh, welcome back, Cholo, our champion of Italy. That basically means he That's did the domestic double with Lazio. That is a that- long banner. Like, it? it was two, Normally it was two banners, banners are like a few words, like an entire paragraph, like scrolling it out, uh, taking like the whole first half to to fold it out. It was one of those Bayern Munich protest style banners where it was on several pieces. It was in se- yeah. separate pieces, this one. <laughs> uh, but obviously um, he was part of that Lazio team in the t- in 2000. that had like Nesta and Inzaghi and Nedved and... Uh, they still love him there. Uh, elsewhere in Group E, Feyenoord with a 2-0 win over Celtic. Nine-man Celtic, Graham. Still yeah. searching for that first uh, Champions League away win since uh, 2017. Mm. Mm, yeah, I didn't expect much at all from Celtic in, in this match. I had money on Feyenoord over 3.5 goals, and, and that was in play. Certainly after Celtic went down to nine men. Up until the first goal, there hadn't really been much in it, actually. And, and I was taking notes on how I thought this chat was going to be about how Roger was, Rogers was being a bit more pragmatic. The big criticism of Brendan Rogers when he was at Celtic first time was that he went into Europe and he just expected to play against PSG and Man City and Barcelona like Celtic play against Dundee or Hamilton or whoever. And they got absolutely thumped. It's does It did seem like he had taken a new approach. Uh, and Celtic were limiting Feyenoord to long shots. Unfortunately, one of those long shots <laughs> gave Feyenoord the lead. A bad moment for Joe Hart, who apparently concedes. This is this is this is true. This is a statistical study that I saw after this game. Joe Hart apparently concedes fifty-eight percent of shots low down to his left over the course of his career, which is quite a remarkable stati- statistic. Kind of unbelievable, but unbelievable. Excuse me. But apparently, it is true. Then the two red cards happen, and it is all over. In the end, I think Celtic were actually a bit fortunate to lose only 2-0 because Feyenoord missed a penalty in this game and they were just kind of battering Celtic for the last 20 minutes. Uh, Graham and I did a Patreon kind of previewing some of the Champions League games and Graham promised me that this was going to be electric end-to-end stuff. It was going to be a high-quality <laughs> game. So I watched this one and Graham, I've got some issues with you, my friend. I feel like there is, there's some... Uh, you're being liberal with the truth there, <laughs> I, I, I said. I was... I, I did... Uh, this is the game I watched uh, on Tuesday or watched live on Tuesday. And I regret it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, I thought maybe there'd be a chance because like, we had talked about Feyenoord and how that can be exciting. We had talked about how this could be a sort of very important game for Celtic in terms of what they're going to do this season. And I don't think it was a great game for Feyenoord. I thought they did some things interesting, but it was a lot of back and forth. It was a lot of ball in the air. Uh, and I think you're right. In the end, it was a fortunate goal and then some red cards. Interesting points, but I did not find this to be the most captivating of fixtures overall. So, Graham, you were correct to downplay the billing, which is what you actually did. 
All right. Uh, Celtic bottom of Group E, Feyenoord atop at the moment, Atleti and Lazio. Lazio, goodness, can't pronounce any team names, in the middle of the pack in Group E. Uh, an electric game, though, Taylor, was had at the Emirates. Arsenal nah. for PSV. Well, electric, I suppose, if you are uh, uh, Arsenal inclined. Having a lovely old time were the Gunners in this one. Their first Champions League campaign in six years. Wow, it's been that long. But uh, very impressive stuff, uh, Graham, from uh, Arsenal in this one. Yeah, Bakaya Saka put out a tweet after this game where he said something along, along the lines of great to get a goal on my first Champions League appearance. I had to kind of think about that. It seems weird that players like Saka and all, all these Arsenal stars have no, haven't played in the Champions League until this week, but this was a very good performance by Arsenal. Complete domination. PSV are a good team. They're certainly not a bad team anyway, but I thought their big mistake was not being pragmatic, to be honest. They tried to play a bold attacking game and Arsenal just picked them off. And, and the speed and precision, pre, uh, precision excuse me, that Arsenal played with was super, super impressive. Some of the finishing as well was, was so sharp. I thought the front three of Jesus, Trossard and Saka in particular were very quick to link up and exchange passes and change position. Jesus just gives you that and I think this was a reminder of, of, of just how good he can be in bringing the best out of that Arsenal front line as, as a unit I don't think there is a better attacking facilitator in, in European football right now in terms of opening up space and creating space for teammates and getting into half spaces and he does offer a little bit more in terms of an all-round game than Eddie Nketiah who has done a decent job for Arsenal recently and then the finish for Trossard's goal I thought was very very pleasing in terms of its precision uh, he's got two goals in two games now and, and is really kind of the, the perfect rotation option for Arsenal where nobody is surprised when he when he doesn't start the biggest matches. But a, a Champions League group stage game um, like this, sure, no problem, he can do a job. So Arsenal are looking in, in pretty good shape. They seem to be improving over the course of the season. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, we had Des Tillman and Pepe all getting minutes at the Emirates. They all did really good, right? Des was oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Good. Especially yeah. Pepe in his, I believe, one minute. Uh, comes yeah. out on the 90th. But yes, Dest was the one who... Got a lot of criticism online, and I think I think it's mostly justified. It does feel like Arsenal maybe had targeted him, not necessarily as a vulnerability for his defensive efforts or lack thereof, but mostly because I think he usually is very much involved in the PSV attack. He is very much an outlet when they're under pressure for him to carry the ball forward, and he did plenty of that in this game. Crossing, not ideal, uh, but very much involved in the attack. That meant that he was maybe less switched on on the defensive side and the first two goals coming down uh, his side. And then one of them, he just does not track his his man at all. And that's who taps it in at the end. So kind of what we've always talked about with Sergio Dest, that can be very good on the ball in the attack, can be a good sort of transition to attack player. When you're asking him to track back and be switched on defensively, sometimes he's not going to do as much of that. Uh, and in this game, I think you saw both sides of that coin. You did indeed. Uh, so, terrific stuff from Arsenal in their opener here. Elsewhere in Group B, Lon held Sevilla to a 1-1 draw as Lon played their first Champions League game in 20 years. Wow, they held the game even longer than Arsenal, uh, Lon. Uh, we go now to Group C for Real Madrid 1, Union Berlin 0. It was Jude Bellingham once again stepping up, poking in a Valverde shot in the 94th minute. Union denied a famous point in the dying seconds here. Uh, we had Bellingham, Graham, as this advanced sort of number 10 role. He's, uh, I think he's doing all right, isn't he? Yeah, six goals in six games for Bellingham as a Real Madrid player. The streak continues. It is, it is ridiculous at this point. It's like something out of, remember those goal movies? And they would have plot points and you'd go, oh, come on, like, let's let's be a little bit realistic here. It's it's getting to that point. It's like Santiago Munoz, Munoz levels for uh, for Jude Bellingham at this point. I saw a picture of him doing what is now his trademark celebration. celebration. I presume he has adopted that celebration in anticipation of them building the statue outside <laughs> the Santiago Bernabeu in that pose. But he's doing the pose celebrating and there's like a hundred Real Madrid fans all standing doing the exact same pose back to him. I can't remember a player who's been embraced by a support at a big club like Jude Bellingham has this season. I guess that is what will happen if you score six goals in six games and three of them are stoppage time winners. Um, the match itself, I thought, was a bit of a non-event. Real Madrid certainly had more of the ball um, in the game, more of the attacking situations, but I thought Union Berlin did a good job of restricting them. They played very narrow, they plugged the central areas, and I think we will see more teams do this against Real Madrid because when they play with, as you mentioned there, Ryan, the, the front two and then Bellingham and behind is number 10, they don't have a great deal of width. And if you can stop them through the middle, there is a good 
a chance that you can stop them entirely. Fran Garcia came on in the second half to help with that. I thought he should have come on a lot sooner, um, but at least with him on the pitch, you can get it wide and then cross for Hosselu and, and, and Bellingham, who are, who are good in the air. So yeah, slightly unfortunate for Union Berlin. They did a lot of good things in the game, but you just can't stop Jude Bellingham right now. Yeah, it would have been awesome to see Union Berlin collect points. It was a fairy tale run for them to begin with to get to the Champions League, and, and they absolutely still have a chance. In a group that's not impossible with Napoli and Braga and Real Madrid, they have a chance to advance, but this would have been huge for them. The first half, I thought they played well, doing a lot of things that Graham said. The second half, Real Madrid did create a, a number of chances. And let's not forget, Real Madrid are doing this without their best player. Well, I don't know, maybe now it's it's more of a, a contest, but they're doing it without their best player from last season in Vinicius Jr., who's out till October or beyond. We don't really have the, the greatest idea. Vinicius Jr. in the 4-4-2 diamond that Carlo Ancelotti was using to start the year was the attacking focal point that then allowed Jude Bellingham to come and, and crash and be that box arriving number 10. He's not all the way a string puller. He's not going to drop deep all the time. He, he is a number eight really at his best, Jude Bellingham, but he's playing as a 10 positionally. And with Vinicius, it all makes sense, right? Or at least it made more sense of you have him and Rodrigo high up the field and they're distracting the opposition and, and Bellingham could come in and crash. Now, the front two for Real Madrid in this game, not like it's especially impressive for Real Madrid, Joselu and Rodrigo. It's, no. it's two good players, but it's not one that strikes fear into your heart in the same way that the front three did last year with Rodrigo as the accent player and Benzema as the nine and Vinicius Jr. off to the left. But for Bellingham, it just doesn't matter. Like he was maybe the second fiddle in the attack before, if not for production, but for role and his time in the team. Now Vinicius Jr. is out, Bellingham first fiddle, and he's still scoring goals. He's still putting the ball into the back of the net. It on it honestly should not work. Like, it should not work for Real Madrid to the point where I'm expecting there will be a drought of Jude Bellingham goals, which I know feels sacrilegious to say right now, but I, I do think that's coming. But for some reason, either because it's Real Madrid or because Jude Bellingham has broken soccer, they just have not been punished for the, what, what they're doing, and it's, it's just absurd. And I'm honestly kind of here for Jude Bellingham just taking over this game. Speaking of broken soccer, for a moment I was confused when I looked at Madrid's bench because I forgot that Vinicius Jr. Uh, was injured. And on the bench was Vinicius Tobias, a player that I knew nothing about. But for a moment, I thought it was like they couldn't get the rights to Vinicius Jr. So they had to like create a <laughs> fake player that sounds just like, like him. A but no, player. That's a Castilla player. The other strange, strange one when it comes to who was involved in this game is anyone else as confused as I am that Leonardo Bonucci plays for Union Berlin? Because between yeah, him and Chiellini playing in L.A., I don't know which one of those is stranger to me, <laughs> but I think it's Bonucci playing for a Champions League club in Union Berlin. I just, like, I don't know why. I just, seeing him play for Union, I just kept being like, what, Bonucci plays? The okay, way to go, Union. You guys are doing things. But it definitely stood out to me as odd. Uh, but then less odd and happier was Brendan Aronson playing, uh, even yeah. if he doesn't have much of an impact in this one. Brendan Harrison getting half an hour at the Bernabeu ain't too bad. Not but too uh, bad. Taylor, the, the, the strange Union Berlin thing that caught me out was Kevin Folland uh, in this uh, squad. I thought, I looked him up and said, like, he must be 50 years old now. He's 31. And that, that really shook me. I, I think he's been around for Dude, a while. Has I, Kevin Folland. I had that same thing with Emre Jean, who I believe is like 28 and I thought for sure was <laughs> 35. Like, I, I, Emre Jean has been around for so long in my mind that to hear that he was like still in his 20s. Like, I sort of couldn't believe it for a moment and thought something must be wrong. There must be a time schism. Yeah, it's like uh, Mitrovic is another one of those. He's 29, apparently. No, nah, he's 34. I'm not buying that for a second. <laughs> nice try. Nice try. <laughs> nice try, Mitrovic. One more game uh, to talk about here. Uh, in Group D, Real Sociedad uh, drawing Inter Milan 1-1. Lautaro rescuing a point in the 87th minute of Inter. Inter, Graham, in a, another kit point here in their lovely new orange, which is very bright. Oh, yeah. I, I quite like it. I, I'd forgotten that they were wearing that kit, but I, I watched large portions of this game. I thought it might be entertaining. It was relatively entertaining. I don't re I don't regret watching it. And Real Sociedad, Real Sociedad will feel some regret though over the result of this match because they were dominant for large periods. And I and I know Joe takes issue with that word sometimes. I mean dominant for a long period of this match. They had so many opportunities to score a second goal. I think they hit the bar. Jan Sommer makes like a clawed, one of those saves where you claw it back off the line at the back post from, from a header. Uh, Berenicea was very, very good. Bryce Mendes was a handful. Taki Kubo was stealing souls again like he did at the Bernabeu at the weekend. Mikko Marino was con controlling uh, possession and, and keeping a foot on things. It was really, really impressive stuff from La Real when they were 1-0 up. 
And then the dynamic changed when Marcus Turam comes on for Inter, for Inter in this game. Starting Arnautovic didn't really work for Inter. And when Turam came on, he was able to get in behind the very high Lariel high line. And he'd been on the pitch for about five minutes and they were already able to do that twice. And that outlet just allowed Inter to take a grip of the game. They were, they were able to create more opportunities. Lariel looked a little bit more um, vulnerable, certainly, in defence. And they found an equaliser, as you say, Ryan, through Lataro Martinez. So in the end... Probably a fair result, but the fact that Lareal got to that stage of the match and hadn't scored more than one, yeah, they'll regret that. Yeah, not the most illuminating start for last season's finalists, even if their kits were very much illuminating. Elsewhere in Group D, Rebel Salzburg uh, securing top spot as things stand. They beat 10-man Benfica 2-0. Taylor, I think we've just about reviewed the Champions League match day one. How are we feeling? We're feeling good? Still kind of bummed about that loss to Manchester United, but I enjoyed this. It was nice to have all four of us back together. Ryan, it's good to have you uh, in your closet, in Charlotte, going to Charlotte FC games, Starbucks everywhere for you as needed. Graham had Popeyes last night. I feel like we're all going to get diabetes, but it's fine. There we go. The universe is resetting. It's all good. Joe's the only healthy one, I think, is what we're learning. Unless Joe has also been eating like fried chicken and sugar coffee in in, I've had gelato two out of two days that I've been here. And that's That's likely the gelato. Oh, that doesn't count. Then, yeah, I'm I'm thriving. The six pack is developing as we speak. (laughs) Taylor, uh, uh, production note, there is no fried chicken in Italy. That's why I've had it every day since I've been back. There you go. Uh, Taylor, thank you very much for your contributions on this podcast. I don't believe you. There has to be a KFC somewhere in Italy, but it is it's been my pleasure. I'm going to go find that one KFC and rub it in your face, Ryan. Mm, that sounds delicious. I look forward to that. Graham, <laughs> thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Yes, yeah, rubbing KFC in, my, in someone's face is essentially what I did to myself last night just with uh, with Popeyes. So thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Wonderful. A mental image for the ages to yeah. finish the podcast there. <laughs> Joe Lowry, uh, please enjoy the rest of your uh, Roman uh trails thank you graham saying butt mark yesterday and today talking about rubbing chicken in his own face what an interesting time it's been on tss this week <laughs> 47 right. kfc restaurants in italy of which nine are in lazio ryan you you needed to diversify your walking radius is all i'm saying fine <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> thank you very much for joining us on this one uh, do join us on friday's big thing we're talking about the champions league and its revamped upcoming structure also patreon.com slash total soccer show if you would like to support us please do head over there but for now bye 